0: If you want to know what a Christian is really made of, watch how they respond to suffering. Let me clarify that. When I say suffering, that seems very broad. Because suffering applies to things like medical problems, natural disasters, things that just sort of seem to happen. I'm not downplaying that stuff, but that's not the suffering that I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the kind of suffering that comes when other people knowingly and purposefully interfere and oppose your work for the gospel. When people try to lure away or confound The people you're discipling or even reaching out to. Or when you are threatened or even terrorized. Even when you're idolized. When people mistake you for God and so dishonor Him. And force you to work against your own ego. How do you respond when that suffering comes? That's how to know what somebody's made of. When they claim to be a Christian. Because maybe that happens to you and you think you're out of tune with God's plan. Something's not right. Anyway, today's text has good news for such suffering Christians. Faithful suffering is the identifying mark of a Christian. Faithful suffering is the identifying mark of a Christian. If you didn't get that down, that's okay. I'll be saying it a lot. Now as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've seen faithful suffering. Disciples thrown in jail or even killed. Even last week in chapter 13, we heard about many church leaders suffering. But in the midst of that, a recently converted Christian named Paul, or as he's elsewhere noted, Saul, and his friend Barnabas were commissioned as new leaders. In the midst of that suffering. The point is suffering comes. But God's people keep on coming. But today the suffering is going to get very personal. It's already begun for Paul and Barnabas. On their first mission last week. There were local Jews who didn't like they were saying. And they pushed back. And Paul and Barnabas left the city. Which is named Antioch. And they went about 80 miles to a place called Iconium, where we start today. And I don't know about you, but that seems like a pretty rough start for a mission. And now the suffering is going to greatly increase, but they're going to faithfully press on in the midst of that suffering. How can they do this? Well, it's because from the beginning of Paul's ministry... God said that that was how it was going to be. God said that suffering will be the song of Paul's life and our lives too. And it's knowing that that makes people like Paul unstoppable. Now, before I begin in the text, let me show you what I mean by going back to when Paul was first saved in Acts chapter 9 verse 14. I'll just read that. This is the Lord speaking to a man named Ananias who was part of Paul's salvation story. Here's what the Lord said. Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Here's the point. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul is going to understand is going to demonstrate today that he completely understands that. That faithful suffering is the identifying mark of a Christian. And the question is, do you understand that? If you wish to suffer faithfully, you must first understand suffering. So let's read the first uh, seven verses of Acts chapter 14. And let's see how Paul faithfully suffers. Now, at Iconium, they, that's Paul and Barnabas, entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them, and stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. The first thing the author Luke shows you here is that for a chosen instrument of God, your work will be frustrated and you will be abused. Let's talk about the work first. In the first four verses, I don't know if you caught it. I tried to enunciate it so. But you see some frustrating cause and effect. In the first verse, Paul and Barnabas, after traveling 80 miles from rejection in Antioch, they start preaching in this new place, which is a miracle in and of itself. And they do it in such a way that many Jews and Greeks believe. This seems like a very, very strong rebound. But then look at verse 2, where the unbelieving Jews stir up and poison the minds of the people. And these are people who have been listening to Paul and Barnabas. How frustrating would that be? I mean, imagine seeing dozens of people come to Christ at a Bible study you led or a conference that you helped out with or a church where you're an elder and suddenly... Other people just kind of slide in and start corrupting all that hard work. How frustrating would that be? How do Paul and Barnabas respond? Well, in verse 3, they remain a long time. They don't give up. They even speak more boldly. But then look at verse 4. What's their reward? Now the city is divided. Paul and Barnabas were hoping to build unity. And to the casual reader, as you look at this, it might appear that it would have been better if Paul and Barnabas would have seen the sign for Iconium and just kept walking. Have you ever felt that way? Why did I bother? And the worst part is it gets harder. As they choose to remain, The suffering actually goes up. It comes in two forms. Look at verse five, where these unbelieving Gentiles and Jews have now rallied their rulers to mistreat and stone Paul and Barnabas. First, the word mistreat and the, um, the Greek translation implies verbal abuse. It's kind of to treat somebody as insolent. And of course, to stone somebody is a severe form of physical abuse. So it's not only become more difficult for Paul and Barnabas, it now becomes clear that this mission has become sort of a no-win situation. The people are divided. You get it? The people I'm listening to are divi- or that are listening to me are divided, but the people that want me dead, they're, they're all on the same team. They're united. So look how they respond in verses 6 and 7. They go to the surrounding countries... And they continue to preach the gospel. This shows that they are not defeated. In fact, this shows their confidence is not in the pleasantness of their situation or even how the gospel is received. When their work is frustrated, they do what they can. They press in. But when the situation proves lost, they take the gospel elsewhere. Do you understand that? How does this apply to us? Well, first, don't be surprised when you suffer like this. Let me share a story. When I was a student in college, I led Bible studies on campus. And without fail, I'd almost always get at least one guy coming just to mess it up. They'd be wanting to steer the conversation off topic. Just ask enough questions to just derail everything. Now, sometimes it was genuine curiosity, but after a while, you can tell. And sometimes I would press in and it would actually get worse. <laughs> Some of the college guys are like talking to each other. It's like, do you, do you got names? <laughs> And you know what happened after a while? You know what I'd think? Man, I must be doing it wrong. Now what I was doing at that moment was this. I was acting surprised. This shouldn't be. I mean, I did all I could. I knew the text. I led about as well as I could. That's the point, guys. Paul and Barnabas, they didn't do anything wrong here. And sometimes you aren't either. And you think just because your Bible study tanks is you haven't read enough books. Now, let me be clear. I can always grow as a leader. So can you. Even after studying the Bible for decades and preaching probably a couple hundred sermons... I could still do a lot better, but sometimes the people you're talking to and presenting to, they just don't want to change. So how do you stay focused in the middle of all that? Especially when the heat gets turned up. Well, it's knowing that suffering is normal. It is normal. And faithful suffering is the identifying mark of a Christian. It's how you respond to that suffering that shows where your trust is. That a negative reception to the gospel does not automatically equal the failure of the messenger. I mean, if that were true, Jesus' ministry was a failure. And you know what? I think it's knowing that, that gave Paul and Barnabas a certain wisdom in the midst of the pressure. And that's our second application. Don't be surprised by suffering, but suffer wisely. Have you ever known, have you ever not known when to keep investing in somebody and when to move on? Like at what point do you just cut off the Bible study? At what point do you stop meeting with that guy, that girl? Well, Paul and Barnabas, generally speaking, show us. They stick around when the opposition comes and the Jews poison the minds of their listeners. But when the situation becomes all-out war, they leave. It's wisdom applied to suffering. Here's what happens. You come in with a readiness to get hurt. This is the life of a Christian. It's normal to be opposed. But with the wisdom to know when to get hurt. In other words, the question is not, will I be hurt? It's rather, what will best advance the gospel in this scenario? Now, I can't tell you how many times I've run at the first sign of suffering. Because here in the West, we don't really like to talk a lot about religion except online where it's kind of anonymous. Um, You know, I begin to share the gospel with somebody and they just push back and I quickly change the subject. Have you ever done that? Especially maybe at a family reunion. (laughs) Why? Nobody's throwing rocks at you yet. Just press in a little bit and see what happens. Maybe you win them the Christ. Or maybe you get another meeting. Goes a little deeper. Or maybe a crowd gathers and they turn on you. And if that happens, maybe it's time to walk away. And here's why there's no shame in that. Because everybody there heard the gospel from you. Mission accomplished. Paul and Barnabas told the whole town multiple times about Jesus. There's nothing for them to be ashamed of when they choose to leave. You see, seeing suffering as normal and having the wisdom to navigate it applies to more than just the mob. And the reason I say this is because of what happens to Paul and Barnabas next as they continue to share the gospel elsewhere. They encounter perhaps the most subtle form of suffering. In fact, the reason why it's so subtle is because we suffer it maybe regularly and we don't even call it suffering. In fact, it's quite pleasant for the ego. So maybe it's the most dangerous. It's being idolized. Let's read chapter eight or let's read chapter 14 verses eight through 20. And you look for Paul and Barnabas being idolized. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices. Saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garland to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good to you by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness, even with these words. Paul scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to him. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So the second thing the author Luke shows us here is that for a chosen instrument of God, you will be idolized. And you will be terrorized. So. After being hounded in two cities in a row. And traveling another 15 miles. Paul and Barnabas get to a place. Finally with no Jews. There's no synagogue here. The coast is clear. (laughs) And then a funny thing happens. They're not just neutrally received and they're not just happily received they are treated like celebrities they're treated like gods in verses 9 and 10 paul heals a lame man but then instead of glorifying god the people worship paul and barnabas they even give them greek god nicknames and I know once you get past the Sunday school answer and you really get into the shoes of Paul and Barnabas, you think, finally, a little bit of respect. Cause guys, let me just say that if I had just suffered what Paul and Barnabas had suffered, I would be strongly tempted to enjoy at least a little bit of positive feedback. Wouldn't you? But here's where we see the wisdom of these two men. In verses 14 and 15, they tear their clothes and they mourn that the people are missing the point. They're worshiping created men and not the creator. Let me say from experience, by the way, that if you really love the gospel hearing it not only perverted, but joyfully perverted as it is here, that's actually worse than facing a mob. If you really love the gospel. And so Paul and Barnabas ruin the party with a Bible study. And yet look at verse 18. Even after contextualizing and trying to begin to draw the people to God, that people are barely stopped from offering sacrifices. Friends, how frustrating is this? Man, it seems like either people want to kill Paul and Barnabas, or they want to idolize them. Can we get something in the middle? Can we get a nice, like, suburban church? <laughs> no. <laughs> Apparently not. But Paul and Barnabas continue to faithfully suffer because they know faithful suffering is the identifying mark of a Christian. How does this apply? Well, again, same as first point, don't be surprised, but be wise. Friends, being idolized might, might sound good in comparison to rejection, but it's not only wicked, it sets a very bad trap. And let me explain that with a story. I was doing some ministry fundraising about 15 years ago. I was fresh out of college and I was single. So you go around, you speak at churches, people invite you into their home, you tell them about your ministry, and then they decide to support you or not. And I met with some old friends from my home church and they were parents of a girl my age. I'd known her from church for many, many years. And they really loved my testimony. And they really were impressed with, the, with what the Lord was calling me to. And here's what they said. They said, our daughter is in college and she's making some bad choices. You would be perfect for her. (laughs) Man, first off, wow, thanks. (laughs) You know, really? Like, really? Did they think that I was going to save their daughter? What am I, God? But here's the thing. Support raising was so frustrating that it was tempting to appease them by saying, yes, or even worse, I'll pray about it. Or just be swayed by their idolatry. You know, yeah, I am working hard out here. Yeah, I'll save her. We'll get married. (laughs) But by God's grace, I said, no. (laughs) And, uh, I knew that wouldn't glorify God. And guess what? They did not support my ministry work. Here's the point. When they saw me as a sort of God, and I resisted taking the bait, their true colors showed. They turned on me. Now, granted, here in Lystra, the turning is a lot more violent But it's the same point. But for Paul, look at how bad it gets. Look at verse 19. Unbelieving Jews come from Antioch and Iconium, they turn the crowd on Paul, they stone him, and they throw him out of the city. Wow, there's a lot to say about this chapter, about this verse. First, Paul is idolized one moment and terrorized the next. What happened? Look at this. A mob of Jews has chased Paul these 15 miles and look, some of them came from Antioch. They went a hundred miles? They're stalking him. Man, how fast Paul's worshippers have turned on him. The Jews from Antioch and Iconium turn the crowd and they throw rocks at Paul until they are pretty sure he's dead. And maybe nobody from Lystra picks up a rock, but nobody came to his defense. Not one person. Won't anybody defend Paul? Where's Barnabas. It seems the more faithful Paul is, the more suffering he gets. Can you relate to that? Is that how it's supposed to be? Yes. What did the Lord say to Paul? I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And that's hard, but it's it's remarkable when you get clarity even if it's bad news, how much that energizes you to press on when you know that you're on the right mission. Friends, this is the life of Paul, the chosen instrument. This song is written perfectly by God and Paul is playing his part perfectly. Faithful suffering is the identifying mark of a Christian. But that doesn't mean... That this isn't a hard lesson to learn. So to help you do that. Let me leave Paul on the ground here. For just a couple of minutes. I want to make a comparison. To help things get a little bit more personal. Back in Acts chapter 7. Which I preached a few months ago. We first met Paul. When a mob that he was overseeing. Had just killed by stoning a servant of the church named Stephen. Do you remember him? Acts chapter seven. Stephen, likewise, was preaching boldly and serving faithfully. And what was his reward? Well, from an earthly perspective, his reward was stoning and death. But if you remember from the end of the chapter, Stephen got his real reward, the one that we look forward to. Stephen actually got to see the face of Jesus and the kingdom of God as he was dying. He looked up and he saw it as the rocks are coming in. Stephen suffered faithfully, and so Jesus himself met Stephen at the finish line. Welcomed him home. My point is to really understand, to really understand suffering personally, we look at Paul and Barnabas, yes, but we have to look at the person of Jesus. Compare him to Paul and Stephen. People tried to frustrate Jesus' work, right? People abused him, right? People idolized him as a miracle worker. People terrorized him to death. So Jesus is the greater Stephen and the greater Paul. Because he was killed like Stephen for your sake. And like Paul, they only thought he was dead. Friends, Jesus calls us to follow him into that same life because he knows what's at the finish line. And like Paul, even if it looks unbearable, if we are not dead, the mission is not over. Many more can be led to God's kingdom through our faithful suffering. Let's finish the chapter and see this happen. I'll just read that, that same verse again that I ended with for the sake of context. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and he entered the city and the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They remained no little time with the disciples. So the third thing, and this is very brief, that the author Luke shows us here, is that through faithful suffering, God's kingdom won't be stopped. Paul has been faced with frustrating work and idolatry and abuse and terrorism. But as he faithfully has suffered, look at the next four verses. In verse 21, more disciples are made in the surrounding areas. Finally, a successful Bible study, right? In verse 22, Paul himself teaches the disciples... That through much tribulation, disciples enter the kingdom. You see, he's not interested in after all that stress going on furlough or taking a vacation. He teaches a mini conference. His hope is in something very, very good. And then in verse 23, this message of suffering that he preaches wins new elders. That message wins new elders. Don't overlook that. Because remember, Ryan mentioned in the previous chapters that many leaders were killed or imprisoned. And Paul's response is, we have more. We have more. And then finally, in verses 24 through 28, the growth just continues. How would the original audience apply all this? reading about these stories well as they're walking through the book of acts what they're going to understand is that this mission to reach the ends of the earth to take god's kingdom everywhere it goes through the path of suffering that is part of the mission it's not easy but it's very good So how does this apply to us? Well, of course, as I kind of said earlier, you have to properly understand suffering. So ask yourself, do I really believe that this is true? Because if you don't, your life is going to be spent avoiding suffering and you will not be effective. But another application that I'll focus on here is this. Help one another get better at suffering. Help one another get better at suffering. Encouraging one another not to fear it and act wisely when it comes. Think about Acts chapter 14. as Your friends are telling you about people they want to share the gospel with, but they're Maybe a little scared or the, the pressure is turning up. Should I should I lean in? Should I run away? Remind one another of the dangers of trading suffering for being worshipped. Yeah, if you've got a friend and they're not a Christian and you think, you know what, I'm a Christian. I really like this person. I'll date them and they'll get saved. Who do you think you are? God? You know how risky that is? You know how many people I've seen try to do that and they end up walking away from the faith? Now God saves some through that, but that's not the template. Don't do that. You are not God. And the antidote for that, if that's your struggle is to love the gospel more than your ability to share the gospel. Because even if you do understand it, even if you do get it, if you're so in love with yourself that you're willing to trade integrity for somebody thinking that you're God, you're going to miss the point. Your faith is already shipwrecked and you're probably going to shipwreck theirs. And finally, even as you are terrorized, you know, if you turn away from that and they turn on you, know that if you are even killed, that your mission is well done. And if you survive, there is more work to do. That's why some of my favorite people are older, wiser Christians who just refuse to retire. Friends, I'll put it simply. Faithful suffering is the identifying mark of a Christian. It is how you respond to this that is the ultimate test to show people what you really believe. And when you really know that, you will be so effective for God's kingdom. And even if they do kill you, more will be raised up. God's kingdom will advance because God's kingdom is unstoppable. Let's pray. God, it is such a temptation for me to view my life as a mission to avoid suffering. Lord, the way that I approach Preaching a sermon can reflect that if I'm not careful. The way that I treat my kids can reflect that. Even the way that I approach strangers can show me through conviction that I value my own safety before I value their salvation. Lord, faithful suffering is the mark of a Christian. Would you help me to understand that and would you help all my friends here to understand that too so that we can show you more clearly even as we suffer that you are god and there's a finish line that we are eager to reach thank you lord for your mercy towards us even as we fall very short in this area would you refresh our minds and strengthen our bodies so that we can face suffering knowing that we are following in your footsteps. Amen.